although I stayed physically, mentally, I believe in 2017, a month after burying my little sister and I'm being spit on by my spouse, the pastor, someone I needed, that's when I really left. And I started opening up about it. And it was only one first lady who I opened up with, cause he would say stuff like, bye, go on back to your mama house, bye. And she was like, well then you need to pack your stuff and go back to your mama house. She's the only one, but everyone else, it was, it was downplayed. Welcome to another episode of the Ageless Conversations podcast. I'm Tamika from TamikaMcTeer.com. If you are new to the podcast, here's what you need to know. We are a community that believes that there is no age that defines the life of every woman. So every week you'll hear a conversation that I know will inspire you to change your mindset, gain confidence, and live a lifestyle thriving, not determined by age. Well, hello there and welcome back. I do not have a reviewer shout out to share with you all today. So you know what that means. If you haven't left a review, go ahead and take some time and leave a review. I love to read your feedback of the podcast and share with other listeners here on the podcast. Joining us today on the podcast, we have Tonika Crawford. She's an author, transformational speaker, and former church first lady who shares the struggle of living up to society's impression of the role of a first lady. She's the owner of Woman Recover, a space where she ushers women to a life of healing and restoration in Christ. She wants every woman that has lost something to know that she can recover after loss. Tawanika, welcome to the Ageless Conversations podcast. I'm looking forward to this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I am looking forward as well. Yes. And so I always share, well, I shouldn't say I always, because I don't think I always do, but every now and again, I'll share how, you know, I know somebody. So Twanika, you know what? I'm not even going to share how necessarily I came in contact with her. Here's what I will tell you all. She has a really good story that I know a lot of the women here that listen on the podcast are married women. And while I don't know the status or, or the healthiness of your marriage, I know that you might have a friend or know someone, you may even have a community of somebody, of someone that you know may be dealing with this story or this situation that she encountered. So I've had an opportunity to speak with her numerous of times and heard her story several times. And so I wanted to invite her here to share a little bit more about her own personal story and just the work that she is doing today. I believe it's a big deal, especially for a woman of faith and those that are in relationship with pastors. So Tunika, I just like to kick the conversation off by asking you, when you think about 2023 as it approaches, Mm -hmm. what's one of the main things that you want to go into the first quarter open and available to? That is a good question. The first quarter of the year, what do I want to be available to? Um, I would say more purpose, changing lives, being stretched opportunity. That's what I want to be open to. All right. All right. And so as we move forward throughout this conversation, I just wanted to ask you that for starters. But when you think about your first encounter with your faith, I know that you do a lot with faith. But when you think about your first encounter with faith and how you were introduced to it, what's one of the first memories you have? 
Um, let's see, because I was when I was younger, I got saved when I was younger. I experienced my faith. Looking back on hindsight, I would say it was very skewered, like misrepresent my belief. My belief it was it wasn't correct. Like I'd be looking back and be like, no, I had it wrong. No. Well, what did you believe then, as opposed to what you believe today? Or as you became an adult, how did that start to shift for you? The I think even though I, it was religious because I think mainly I was more focused on people liking me and the environment I was in. So it was religious as long as I obeyed the rules. As long as I came in church with no earrings, no makeup, no color in my hair, I was accepted more so than really getting to know him for myself. And what did you do or how did you make that switch? As you became, you know, an adult and getting into that personal relationship and getting to know God for yourself. The shift occurred. I went to I went through a season of really, I will say, getting married. I mean, after marriage, I started really studying the word. And I can remember I went through this stage. That like when I was studying, I realized that a lot of things that I was being taught, it just didn't line up. And if we're not careful, if we're de- we can be codependent upon our leaders. If we're not careful and we'll just go by what we continue to heat to hear versus really studying. And so, like, I started studying and realizing the grace of God. I didn't even hear about the grace of God coming up <laughs> I heard about grace. And so, and I started seeing, you know, when I was dealing with rejection, I was starting to see that it was actually the, the, it was not the world who put Christ on the cross. It was actually the church who put him on the cross, the religious leaders. And that gave me another perspective about rejection and it started healing me. That's, even though I was in a a toxic marriage, the inner work started by by word. Okay. And, And how old were you when you got married? I was 24. 24. And so you said that that's really what took you back to. And so I, the listeners know that when I read your bio, I shared that you were previously a first lady. Was your husband already a pastor when you guys got married or is no, not? Ma'am. Okay. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that even, you know, happened and what were your thoughts as you were going through that process before we even dive into your story? Like, what was that process like getting married and then marrying someone who was not a pastor, but then being called to ministry. I always knew he was going to be great because we was together all through high school and we we grew up together in church. So like I knew there was something different about him and there was a greatness about him. And I felt like I had knowledge of who he was and God and who he was supposed to be. So, but I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, he was going to be a pastor. And so when that occurred, it didn't surprise me, but I was not comfortable comfortable with it like because I knew that how the marriage was so and it was kind of like for me how in the world are you trying to step out and do pa- I'm not saying you're not a pastor this is what I was thinking not saying you're not a pastor but let's work on our marriage first before we step on the scene to be a leader mm-hmm. and how long how long into the marriage before this pastor came up I want to say Maybe our fourth 
year? I'm just guessing there. It, we got married in 2011. 2015 is when he opened the church. So, yes. Okay. So, four years into your marriage, you went from being a, a wife to now being a first lady. And as you stated, you didn't see how he was going to move into that because as you stated, you were focusing and thinking about the marriage as a whole. And based on what you're describing, it sounds like you didn't feel like he was leading home properly or leading the marriage properly, or even in that matter, how Christ says lead the church for the marriage. And so you had questions and you had doubts about that, but still, it sounds like the marriage, I mean, he he still went on with the pastoring. Absolutely. Because it was more so me. I'm the one who who needed to get it together. It was me who needed to get together. My attitude and it wasn't him. Okay, so he saw you as the trouble in the marriage. Correct. Okay. Go ahead and share your story with our listeners. I know about it, but before it got to where, you know, you made the decision or mm-hmm. realized that this marriage was no longer serving you, how would you describe the beginning or the earlier days of your marriage? The early days of my marriage, I'm going to be honest with you. We had about a good, I want to say a good month, maybe. I don't know. I I, I, I don't want to be wrong in what I'm saying to make it sound like it's worse. Than, but it wasn't it, very early on. That's what I would say. So you don't, you don't think there was ever a season that you guys had a healthy marriage? I don't because as long as I was doing what he needed me to do when he want, needed me to do it, Everything was fine. As long as everything was going his way, it was a, a very controlling. I mean, it, he was very, very controlling. So, yeah, it, it was a lot of things that happened. Just just the leadership as far as, you know, spent, paying for our finances, want, want, wanting to be in control of our finances. And I'm submitting to that because I'm thinking, you know, he's the head of the house. You know, he's uh, wife, submit to your husband. You know, I didn't. But I was miserable because it was just like, oh. So then I tried to make peace with the saying like, okay, I married him young. I'm 24. He's 22. And I don't get to decide now that he's not worthy of being submitted to because I chose to marry him. And I was aware that a wife is supposed to submit to a husband. So he's young. So let me give him space to grow. Mm. But this is where now that I'm talking to you, I realize and I look back. This is where the issue kind of occurred because I didn't know I was dealing with a narcissist. Like I didn't know about narcissism and all of that until 2019. That's when I learned about that. But like looking at it then, I didn't, I should, I wish I knew that that was the beginning of me blaming myself and trying to find ways to justify what was right in front of me. Mm. So you do, you do feel like you saw behaviors of his personality well before saying I do and it just magnified during the marriage? Well before I do. And you just... I- so what did you think about some of those behaviors that you didn't find acceptable once you got it married? Um, like what t- type of things did you see and just consider it, I guess, to be okay enough that you wanted to move forward with the marriage? Well, when we when we got together in high school, it was different. He wasn't that way. And that was when I struggled real bad with my brokenness. And, and it's like, like not gradu- wanting to graduate from high school, wanting to give up and him being that push. Great guy, like great potential in school, you know, very well articulate. You know, he's 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 not a 
you know, a bad guy. He's literally a good guy. But what happened was after his, he experienced death, and I believe after his grandmother passed away in 2009, since then, that's when things really shifted for me, where it was right in front of me to see some of the issues that was in front of me. But the problem was because we had so much history, I was always able to say, well, because back in our high school days, I was the one who, if I found out he was cheating on me, I'm fighting. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm thinking, okay, well, if he hit, that's, that's my fault because I brought that out of him. Mm. I was, you see what I'm saying? Like this, these were things that I was, you know, I was always justifying it. I just didn't know. I was just ignorant. And so before we got married, I had left him alone. I had left, I had left him alone before we got, before we got married because of the girls and playing the games. And he was in college and, um, I had finally gotten to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm gone. So then he came with the apologies and everything. The, the slate was supposed to be clean, you know, at this point. He apologized and then he was like, he want to get married. And now I look back, that was the only thing he could offer me at that point that probably would have, that made me stay. Cause I, before that, I, anything else, I was, I was done at that point. So that's where I messed up at. I should have kept going. I should have stayed with my decision. And so fast forward, you find yourself in this marriage. You guys get married. Then four years into the marriage, he goes into pastoring. How did you, what, what types of shifts did you see then happen once? He became a pastor. Once he became a pastor, do you mean from the from the time that he actually like the reflection of your marriage? Like, what did you how did you see things shift in your marriage or the relationship specifically between you all? It was the same. And so because you were a first lady, I'm sure that you had relationships with other first ladies. Whether, you know, at other churches and just other women in leadership, had you ever spoken to anyone about what you were experiencing? And if so, what type of feedback and I guess support did they offer you? Okay, so for a while, I kind of kept it to myself. But then I started opening up. I want to say around 2017, because that's the year I lost my sister in. There was an altercation where he he spit on me, and it was that it had happened before. That's the I shamefully admit it happened, and I stayed and I told him that was the third year of my marriage, and I told him if he ever did it again, I was gone. And so that was year three. Then year seven came, and I had to speak at a a women in hat service, and I came home, and it like one thing led to another argument it wasn't even that deep I forgot what it was but it wasn't enough for me to be spit on all the way from the kitchen to my room to go get my keys like it was not mm. just one time it was it was repetitive and I think after that although I stayed physically mentally I believe in 2017 a month after burying my little sister and I'm being spit on by my spouse the pastor, someone I needed. That's when I really left. And I started opening up about it. And it was only one first lady who I opened up because he would say stuff like, bye, going back to your mama house, bye. And she was like, well, then you need to pack your stuff and go back to your mama house. She's the only one. But everyone else, it was it was downplayed. It was downplayed. It was me because I'm an outspoken person. So 
because I'm what you see is what you get with me. I, I'm, I'm an outspoken person. What I'm not, I'm gonna be transparent. I don't believe in being one way here, one way there, one way. I believe that to be, I'm an honest person, and so because he was able to hide it a little more, it was always me. It was my fault as the woman. I, you know, and I wasn't. And it's not like I was just being just mouthy to him or nothing like that. That's just what women do. Like anytime, most of the time when women come to you to lead leaders about their husbands it's, it's assumed let him be the man let like it's it's not even or one lady was like oh he's emotionally abusing you okay i'm not saying that's bad but is there anything else like like what like, yes yes it was it's, it's it the counsel is to stay the counsel is to to stay in your marriage doesn't matter and so when did you reach your breaking point and know that you could no longer move forward in your marriage with the way that you were being treated? Okay. So I want to say 2018, literally this happened to me. I was praying one night and I literally heard or felt in my mind, emotional abuse. So I took my phone to Google emotional abuse. That's how I learned. I knew I was being talked to and, and I knew it didn't feel good, but I didn't know that there was a certain thing as abuse. The, the emotional abuse. I just always thought abuse was physical. So that's when I started learning about emotional abuse. And then I started learning about narcissism. So um, I remember I had just started back. I hit my breaking point the day after Thanksgiving in 2019. I forgot what what it, what that was over, but he ended, we were living at my parents' house at the time and he moved out. And to make a long story short, he took everything with him, everything in that room. He took, he was about to take my keys to the car and my phone because he paid the bill on the phone. Like, and I remember that day when he left and I looked around my room and saw nothing in that room but my bed. And the only reason why I had that bed was because it was my mom's in her house. And I remember feeling so embarrassed because my family saw this. And I sat at the end of that bed and I looked around that room and I said, this, this is it. I can't do this anymore. Okay, so one night, we it was an eight year of our marriage. We was going through couples therapy. So I let my guard down and I went to his house that night and I wanted to sleep on the couch. I didn't want to go to bed with him. And the verbal abuse started again. And I remember not saying a word in hopes that it would, he would calm down. But unfortunately, it escalated. Upon me trying to leave, I was drugged out of my car back into the house by my hair the entire time. And the thing about that, situations like that, you don't know how far they're going to go. Luckily and thankfully, he came back to himself, sat on the chair and wept and told me I could leave. And I left. And I remember being grateful for the way of opportunity, especially since 4,000 women die yearly due to domestic violence and 75% of that is when they are trying to leave or after they have already left. So I was very grateful for the way of escape. And I remember thinking, God, you would never have to deliver me from this situation again. And I've been on my healing journey ever since. That was it for me. Wow. And, mm -hmm. And so even through that, I have learned how, you know, to love myself. I've learned my identity in God. And I've learned that 
the situations that I went through that broke me never defined me. And so now I am on a journey to help others do the same. So when you talk about the healing journey and that was your breaking point and, you know, you getting out of that and saying that you would never go back, what exactly has healing looked like for you? I know that journey is different for everyone. What has that specifically looked like for you? Process. Patience. Because you literally have to face yourself. You literally have to not, because even though my marriage the outcome that occurred in my marriage is what led me to that point. I still decided that I wasn't going to blame him and that I had to take a look in the mirror and say that I need to heal because if I don't heal, the cycles were going to continue in my life. And I, when I decided to divorce him, it wasn't just divorcing a marriage. It was divorcing dysfunction altogether. And so I had to face myself. The healing journey, it, it, it's about you and how deep you're willing to go to receive your healing. And so you have to admit things about yourself that you really don't. Like for me, I had to say, you don't know how to set boundaries. Like Mm -hmm. I had to admit that. I had to admit, you got to find out and I had to go back into my childhood and, you know, really. So it's it's really process and patience and, and giving yourself grace and knowing that none of this defines you. You're still beautiful. Even when I admit, I don't know how to set boundaries. I have this problem. I accepted abuse. I I let this man treat me this way. Like you have to accept that with grace. Yeah. I love when you say divorce and dysfunction because you went through, you know, a physical divorce and things like that. But the, the whole this divorce and dysfunction, it just speaks powers. It speaks volumes because people, somebody might be listening and while they might not be in a marriage like something like what you experienced or even a bad relationship for that matter there's some type of dysfunction that they're dealing with in their life that they need to divorce absolutely and i believe that's divorcing mindsets and beliefs that is keeping you from moving forward regardless of what it may be for me it was my divorce and i realized the fact because i allowed that I knew some, I was broken somewhere, that my spirit was broken somewhere. And so it takes work, but absolutely divorce anything for me. Not only is it divorcing mindsets and beliefs as a woman of faith, I'm divorcing anything that doesn't align with God's intent for me, his purpose for me as woman on earth. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've been backtracking like, whoa, let me get my mind established through his word the correct way and so what what I do is I have woman recovery that's where I got that from and it's my beliefs that we can bounce back from anything that we face and I have four steps to recover and that is to acknowledge that your spirit is broken and then you must identify what broke you And then you have to discover the lie you believed that broke your spirit. And then you have to dismantle that lie with God's truth. Which is why I say that healing is being restored to proper perspective. Excuse me. And so I have that woman recovered workshop and I am really ready to help women on their healing journey. After after experiencing a divorce and, and what you did, what are your thoughts on ever getting remarried again one day? 
because I understand God's original intent for me as a woman is to create me for man, I, I'm, not, I'm going to be married again. I'm not going to let that stop me from the opportunity of experiencing the true love I deserve. I love that. Okay, now we're going to head into our final four. These are just going to be four short questions that I asked you. There's no oh. right or wrong answer. You just respond with the first thing that comes to mind, okay? Yes. The first one is describe age in four words or less. Better with time. Okay, and this one is a fill in the blank for you. My name is an age has taught me. Grace. Ask for permission or ask for forgiveness? Ask for permission or ask for forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Ask for forgiveness. Why? Because I never want to get to the place where I can't apologize, but I don't want to be out here asking for permission. I'm not at that stage anymore to be asking folks for permission to be me and to walk in my purpose. And those days are over for me. So I'd rather ask for forgiveness. Comfortable silences or nonstop conversation? Comfortable silences. I have to ask you this because I've seen you change so much. Swanika, what's one piece of advice you would like if you could if you could write a letter to your younger self? What's something that you would tell her? You were valuable the entire time. What final words do you have for our listeners and where can they connect with you after this podcast? I want everyone who's listening to understand that they don't have to have a facade for anyone and they don't have to be walking on eggshells and pretending like there's someone they're not that if they're not walking in their truth, find the courage to do that because your life will shift the moment you are honest with yourself and healing will always be your responsibility. Don't ever expect anyone to come and save you. This is your responsibility. And to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at WomanRecoverTC. Thanks for being a guest here today, Tonika. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ageless Conversations podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. Your review really does help others find out about the podcast. As always, you can head over to my website now at TamikaMixier.com to sign up for my email list as well as check out the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Talk to you all next week.